Fantastic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's uh, LinkedIn Live. Uh, those of you who are joining us live, hope you've got your lunch with you and a bite to eat so you can have a listen in. Those of you who listen to the recording, welcome. Uh, you're more than welcome. My name is James Osborne. I'm the co-founder of the Recruitment Network, uh, or TRN, as we like to refer to ourselves as. For those of you who are not familiar with TRN, we're a large global community made up of recruitment business leaders and recruitment advisors all over the world. Um, we all work together to help our businesses significantly increase three things, three important things, performance, productivity, and profitability. And that translates all the way down from top-line strategy uh, to the skills required by our recruiters to deliver on that strategy as well. So today, today's LinkedIn Live is all about the minimum standards you need to be a high-performing recruiter. So we're going to focus more towards that bottom end, I suppose, um, or, the, or the recruiter side of, of, of the businesses. Um, for a bit of clarity, when I refer to minimum standards, these are not really the aspirational KPIs that we as leaders like to set for our people, um, but more the absolute minimum expectations recruiters should be hearing on before the lights go out at the end of the day. The reason why they get paid a basic salary, there's sort of no excuse type of stuff. So um, there's a very clear way of, of exactly calculating those minimum standards. And if any of you want any information about how to do that, message me and I'll, I'll share some of the calculators that we built around how to define those uh, minimum standards. Um, joining me today is uh, Ryan McCabe. Many of you I'm sure are familiar with Ryan. He's an amateur boxer, he's a motorcyclist, he's a caravanner, he's a mountaineer, and he's also CEO of Odro. Um, I'll let, probably let Ryan explain Odro, but from my point of view, uh, Odro helped thousands of people across the world to humanize their hiring experience, which I think is a really important part of the recruitment piece in today's day and age when AI and technology is having a, a play on that. Um, if you look at the, the recruitment lifecycle, there are hidden opportunities throughout the entire lifecycle you can create a better level of connection between a candidate and a brand. Um, and Odro's suite of products, which aren't just video products, that's where they sort of came from, they're no longer just purely video, allow you to create a really incredible connections at each of those different stages and each of those different opportunities across the recruitment lifecycle, which obviously improves the experience of the candidates, generates powerful data, uh, and just makes recruitment, let's call it better. So uh, Ryan, great to see you as always. How are you, mate? You good? I'm very well, and to be fair, I think you should come over to work at Audro after that pitch. That's better than I've ever done. So, is, is <laughs> that a job offer? Is that a job offer? I'm killing it already. Look at that. It's our first good. Life. I'm, I'm putting in the commute, might be a bit of a tricky one, but I'll give it a go. Um, it's a gr great to see you as always. I think it'd be fair to say we've got a pretty different marketplace right now to maybe what we had in the sort of post COVID boom. I think it requires a very different skill set, maybe different focus, different types of activity that people need to be good at. Um, and so on and so forth. And one of the things that we've been really pushing hard on is around getting productivity improvements. How do we get a 25% uplift for everything and everything that people, recruiters are doing right now? So if I go straight into that, can you, when, when you look at all the stuff that a recruiter has to do, all the admin tasks, the repetitive tasks, maybe the non-core tasks, yeah. um, how, how, how does a recruiter get rid of all that or streamline that or, or make it make themselves more productive by doing less of it? I think the, the first thing to do is to to understand what the accumulation of small tasks can look like. I think if you rewind to even just two years, there was no way of, you know, getting out of having to write candidate write-ups, having to write job adverts, you know, arrange your interviews, chase for feedback, reference checking. All this stuff just took a lot of time and there was no other way to kind of get around to that. But now with, I mean, ChatGBT, AI, other AI tools are available. Um, I think it's the perfect time to look at that accumulation of things. I mean, we we realized how big a problem CD formatting was, just as one example of things that take so much time. And if you've been doing recruitment for more than two years, that's just the way you've always done it. 
So I think it's just a good point in time to really just take a day, com- completely wipe your diary for a day and just look at the diaries of your consultants, look across your business and ask them the questions. Where are they spending their time? What small tasks are they having to do? Because you can, there's, it would really, really surprise you. It surprised me just how much you can actually automate or use AI to, to really cut down these days. Um, so it, it's just a, it seems insignificant, you know, in isolation, but when you look at all of these tasks, it, it can be massive just for an individual biller. You, you touched on a really important point, which is that sort of the way we've always done it. You know, one of the biggest challenges that a lot of recruitment business leaders are facing, let alone the recruiters themselves, is that there's always been a way of doing recruitment, right? We've done it for God knows how many decades. And since I was, since I was a, wee, a wee lad, there's my Scottish coming in there. But the, um, there's a way of doing recruitment. And I think that now has been ripped apart a little bit. So I think there's some still core things that still need to happen. But um, people getting their head around the fact that we need to change now, the markets are different and that type of stuff. It's a real challenge for a lot of people. I think people are quite nervous about that. Have you seen much that across the clients that you work with, Audre? Uh, yes. I think the way to, that I would categorize that in my head is you would get a recruiter that said, well, I've done it this way for 10 years. And, and that was old hat. Now it's, well, I've done it that way for two years and now it's old hat. So you really need to review much more regularly. And the best recruiters are going to be the ones that are most adaptable to change these days. And you're going to get some very annoyed, what everyone else calls them dinosaurs, you know, some very annoyed, you know, veterans of the industry, shall we say, because you'll have someone that reinvents themselves four or five years, you know, every, every two, three, four, five years, and they overtake them a few times in that time frame. So I feel like that's that's something we need to be paying attention to. But we've seen a lot of different people. Um, and, and it's more, I'll be honest, I've not seen, you know, let's say a, a kind of 20, 30 head business. I've not necessarily seen a, a business go through an entire shift that everyone's been on, you know, been on that journey. Everyone's got problems um, and kind of obstacles to overcome. But I've seen some fantastic kind of individuals or pods of people that have been really good at one thing, started to dip and say, no, I need to do something better and reinvented themselves using, you know, using AI and even just the way they interact with their clients. The best best I've seen are people that actually consult with their clients and they don't go on the transactional sort of recruitment anymore. Um, Like, I think, and I'm, I'm joining some dots here because to be honest, I've done it myself, there's a lot of recruiters that are now learning from how software and SaaS companies over in the States sell and how they manage things. And that, for me, the most successful recruiters I'm seeing are taking techniques and processes from SaaS sales and applying it to recruitment. And it works so well, like a discovery call, for example. People are doing discovery calls now. And in a discovery call, they are... They're getting a firm brief, which fair enough, we've always done. But then they'll set the time frame. Say, okay, I need two weeks to get these CVs. And then when I get these CVs, we need a meeting. Who needs to be in that meeting? And they plan it all out and say, well, if you give me exclusivity today, it will be September the 30th before you've got someone in your seat. Does that yep. time work? If it doesn't, we need to do something different. And that setting the stall out and being really consultative, those are the people that are winning right now. Yeah, but I think you're absolutely spot on. We've done a load of work with members over the last year, I suppose, or so around insight selling, solution selling, proper consultative mm-hmm. selling, that sort of stuff. 
there, there is a slight question mark, and this is not everywhere, there's a slight question mark that do we actually have the skills and the ability across the current workforce, the types of recruiters we brought into the business to be able to do that type of stuff? So have we, because a lot of recruiters joined the market, which is buoyant, right? So they, they came in and just basically just administer, just deliver, 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 deliver. They, they haven't, they weren't really taught, they weren't really brought in to go and actually go out there and say, go and consult and advise your customers, shift from being a, a recruitment agency to a talent consultancy piece. So you've got yeah. a lot of people, I think I question whether they've got the skills yet to be able to do that or the confidence to be able to do it. I, I think you're right. Um, although I don't, I don't necessarily believe that it's all to do with you have to hire the highest skilled, kind of you know, the most experienced recruiters in that in that game. I think you need to give them the blueprint to try and simplify that role as much as possible. And I don't think there's a, the majority of recruitment business leaders that I come across are still learning how to do that, especially mm-hmm. if they're in that scale-up mode, if they're sub-20 heads, for example, which is the majority of the market they've not had to truly scale something yet and write down the process, write down the playbook. Um, so I agree with you, you definitely need to upskill, but there is a way of simplifying the simplifying that process a little bit. Um, you know, tell them what they need, give them a template timeline and yeah. explain why it takes two weeks for this or two weeks for this and send them out to the market with that rather than saying, remember, put a timeline in place. <laughs> yeah. And also what that allows them to do as well, which I think is really important, is go to the clients and say, this timeline, by the way, to make it really clear, is owned by two people, me as the recruiter, you as the client. So if you want me to deliver a shortlist within two weeks, you have to play your part, Mr. or Mrs. Client. Mm-hmm. These are the KPIs that we need to agree now that you have to adhere to as much as I need to adhere to. And that's a real, there's a, there's a bit of um, a confidence thing in that, to be able to do that. But I love well, it when a recruiter... True says to a client, you know, you've got to work as hard for this as I'm going to work for you. Yeah, and that, that is very true. You definitely have to make sure it's a two-way street. What we used to say was when we were giving people, um, when people were buying vision licenses for a video interview or, or video messaging licenses with Capture, we would say to them that if they follow this kind of process that gave the client much more visibility and into the candidate and the process, that you would get guarantees from them on feedback time. So, you know, if I send you across some candidate information, I need the green light or the red light within 48 hours. Or you would say, you need to give me these interview slots and it needs to be accepted by you in your calendar. So you do need to get that commitment from the other side up front 100%. That makes all the difference. Yeah, and, and that all links into this whole, I suppose, the relationship, the client experience piece more than anything else. So talk me through about what you, because I know there's a big thing that you and I have spoken about for ages in the past around the, the sort of the customer experience, the client experience, candidate experience, that matter as well. What are some of the minimum standards or expectations a recruiter should be demonstrating in that client experience piece? Because there is a concern that, you know, in, in the world of tech and AI, we are dehumanizing the client mm-hmm. experience a little bit. Are we improving it? I don't know. No, I mean, there's a stat that someone said that, you know, for, over 40% of the workforce will be millennials by 2025. Sorry, sorry, sorry. The majority of the workforce will be millennials by 2025, but 40% of millennials say they would rather talk to someone electronically than face-to-face or over the telephone. Yeah. So is there a piece that actually by saying, like, by utilising chatbots as an example is actually humanising the process as part of that client's experience? It de- look, it depends. I think people make the mistake that, but we are literally, it's just what we stand for. We want to humanize the hiring experience at scale. That's the last part of, what, of, our, of our mission and where we're going. And that at scale piece is so important because without that, you just assume that you have to have a human being conducting every single step of the process. You have to have a face, a video, an in-person meeting. 
Um, and you don't, I think there are ways to make you feel like, you know, I am dealing with a human being. The human being is on, you know, is behind the scenes and has my best interests at heart. But I want that human being to spend the time on the things that they can impact. You know, if I've just got, if I've got this fantastic um, recruiter that could be explaining a value proposition to a candidate, and yet all they're doing is looking on CV databases or all they're doing is, is you know, messaging people on LinkedIn and trying to blast everything, that's not a best use of their time and the interest of the client. So I feel like we, there are definitely ways that um, you can humanise the experience and without having to say, you know, let's make, you know, everyone use chatbots, for example. Um, like when we built, so we've got a new product called HireDeck, which actually is our first non-video-based product. But we've built instant messaging into that. So it's not it's not as great as a video call, you know, where you've got the other person on the other uh, on the other side of the computer, but you've got a group chat instant messenger that has everyone in it and it's instant. You don't have to wait until the email comes in and then, you know, have this big long email thread, but it's all got to be formal and, you know, kind regards, James. It's none of that. It's just quick instant messages that give you quick answers. And it means that the recruiter can go and spend their time speaking to the candidates, speaking to the hiring managers when they need to. Um, that's, for us, an example of a middle ground between chatbots and video calls every two days. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's the interesting piece, right? So when you go back to that first question we talked about, about where there's wastage and time and everything else, actually, again, by utilising tech better, whatever that tech is, um, allows a recruiter to do more of that human stuff, which is spend more time with the customers and everything else. And I think that's such an interesting piece because, as you know, I've, we've been harping on ages and ages and ages for years about how a recruiter needs to have a better relationship with their clients, be able to yes. win more, win more retained or exclusive business, etc. But they won't do that unless the client is allowing them to spend quality time with them to be able to understand the job spec properly, to understand the culture, to be able to, as you say, resell it to the customers. You can't do that if you're working on a contingent basis. So again. All of this stuff smacks back to me about recruiters going out and winning better quality business, better relationships with clients, more embedded, whatever you want to refer to that as, more exclusivity. Because that just means your conversion ratio is going to be better. You're going to make more placements and actually you're going to be able to do the job properly as a recruiter. I just don't think a recruiter can do recruitment properly at an arm's distance contingent basis in most cases. I just don't think. We've always been on the same page there. Um, and I've had conversations at both ends of the spectrum with with recruitment business leaders. So we've got people that say, we do really well in contingent. We're quite happy because they're probably top of the pile in the contingent from whatever they do. They're winning most of it, but it's the it's the guys underneath them, the girls underneath them that are saying, well, we, we, we're not filling as much of these. We're not getting that, that that conversation. I think it's all to do with your, your instant credibility. I think that's where the, the conversation has to start from, from a prospect client. So what can you say or do to get through the door with credibility. Because mm. if you're not getting, that's that's what will make me, if someone's trying to sell something to me, if, whether I need it or not, they need to be credible and prove that they've done their homework, they know roughly who I am, they've you know, they've, they've got a story to tell me that's not a case of, do you want to buy this? Or do you feel, do you have this problem that 95% of my customers also had? Like, we've all, we've all seen it now, we've all done it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and also I think adding value to the next thirty seconds of my life. So if you're gonna if you're gonna call me or you're gonna email me, you're gonna email me for the next thirty seconds whilst I'm listening to you reading whatever. It's got to add value to my life. Otherwise, why am I doing it? What's the point? Sort of stuff. And generally, I'm not convinced that necessarily happens in some of the pitching that we're hearing at the moment. Um, let, 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 let's talk about tech. Let's talk about AI because obviously 
you can't not talk about AI these days. It seems like the standard <laughs> thing to talk about, right? Um, in fact, I ran a round table this morning with, with a bunch of recruitment leaders all around future tech, AI, and how what's that going to look like and where's it going? I've got some real opinions about this. But um, just talk to me about what you're seeing happening in this AI, let's call it a revolution because it sounds pretty sexy, but this evolution in AI in the AI world. Um, it's being used. The thing that's really telling for me is that it's being used by, I'm going to call it non-tech savvy brands. So we, we work with brands who are self-admittedly quite behind the times on tech. And, you know, when they signed up with Audro a year ago, you know, they were like, well, this is really new for us. We've not really tried this this sort of technology before. So we're looking at them saying, okay, we need to hold hold their hands and, and bring them up to, to the modern day. But now those same people are implementing their own instance of chat GPT for how to, you know, how to write job ads or they're taking something from a customer, putting it through that GPT and rewriting it. And that the rate of adoption of AI to in general is the fastest I've seen. I don't know about you, but when you're looking at any tech we've seen come to our industry, that's the fastest uptake I've ever seen a concept, let alone you know an individual product. So there's there's a lot being used. I've seen it used for um, job ads. In higher debt, we built it in, so you can use it for candidate write-ups. So talking about those... Um, small kind of mundane tasks. We've just got a button now in higher tech, which is still insane to me that when you press the button, it reads the CV, it reads the job spec, and then creates a candidate write up on why that CV is good for that job spec from the mm -hmm. point of view of a recruiter to at least give the recruiter a basis to then say, okay, well, that's my pitch, but I can, I can change this, I can add that. That probably saves two hours on each submission, like each each vacancy submission that you've got. And it, it takes seconds to do now. So the advent of it's massive. Um, although Curveball, I actually think that the biggest use case of it in 12 months is going to be interview scheduling. I think there's, I've not seen it yet. I just think that if you can find a way to use ChatGPT to communicate with both the hiring manager and the client on your behalf to generate to schedule interviews, I think that'd save a day a week for a for a recruiter. Spend mm. so much time trying to find availability and being the PA of both sides. Yeah. I just feel like that's that's a big a big bit of disruption waiting to happen. So timestamp this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I absolutely agree. And I was just looking at I'm looking at my, some of my notes here. We've got a um so we're doing a lot of stuff around automation stuff with the members and there's one of the members at the moment, they've got 9,623 automated actions happening every single week across their business, saves them 320 hours, which equates to the cost of eight additional consultants on a 40 hour week. I mean, I mean, that's incredible when you think about it and what a shift from where we were. And, and that, that, that hasn't dumbed down their business at all. It just means that their recruiters, the other recruiters are doing a hell of a lot more, which I think is, is absolutely fantastic. I think. So, yeah. Massive. Absolutely yeah. There's a question coming from Jay. Was what was the AI product used to check a CV against the job spec? Was that was that ChatGPT that you're using that for? That was hired it. Yeah. So oh, that was, that was, that was <laughs> actually, I mean, well, that's, that's not like a good product. What's that? <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, yeah, you're not a plant, Jay. I promise. Uh, yeah, but that's that's hired it. That's our product that we, we use for candidate submissions. Perfect. Fantastic. Um, I do I do think that another one of the real big use cases that we're going to see a lot more of coming out of the, the, sort of the chat GPT world is this predictive analytics. Again, going back to that piece around how recruiters could be more of a consultant led, consultative led. I love the idea of recruiters going into customers and saying, here's a bunch of data that's going to tell us what we need to be doing together for the next six, six to 12 months based on 
talent movement around the ways that you're working around traditional graphics of peaks and troughs and so on and so forth. And I think that predictive analytics piece is, is really fascinating. We're starting to see some some interesting movements across some of the members at the moment doing stuff around that, which is which I think is pretty sexy, actually. I think pretty cool. I don't know if you've seen any of that happen across across your client base. No, to be fair, I've not. I've seen a bit of predictive analytics has been thrown around, but more at like, you know, economical level rather than in the industry. I've not seen it, but um, I can definitely see why why you could use that, the language model for for something like that. Um, mm. but, I mean, I would use it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and wait, give it, give it 30 days and we'll see a new Audrey product coming out called Predictive Analytics. <laughs> um, I, d- I don't know if you can see the questions that are popping up here, Ryan, as well, but as, I'll just read them yeah. out as, as they pop up, basically. So do you think that using ChatGPT for CV write-ups and job spec loses the personal touch from the recruiter that the client might appreciate? A fair point, um, and that if it did, it would be against everything I stand for. <laughs> to yeah, be yeah. totally honest, yeah, um, it doesn't. But it does. What happens is you, you know, recruiters aren't there to be writing up. Well, I mean, they have to write up complex job specs, but that's not their skill. Most of the time, their skill is in that interaction, and the write up is just to get in the door to have the conversation about the candidate. So what we're doing is really giving recruiters. We're getting rid of recruiters' writers block. If you like going, like, where do I start with this girl? I know she's great. How do I put that across in a professional manner? ChatGPT can do all that for you. We've got, you know, we've got the tone that it's written in, who it's from in terms of which point of view it is. Um, and it takes a lot into a lot into consideration when it's written up and the recruiter can just edit it live and on the fly. So um, yeah. you can check it out. Hiredeck.io is a bit of a plug, but that's <laughs> um, that's where that lives right now. Perfect. Absolutely. Absolutely, but no, well, why not? Because it's a good, it's a great product. So, um, one of the things that we're doing across TRN, man, we launched this thing called CreateTech. So we started the CreateTech series, which is really exciting, and we're basically building a recruitment company out of technology with no people in it whatsoever. Um, okay. And and it's not to say we're replacing people at all, but we reckon that we're now building out every single workflow within the recruitment business and going which technology should sit in each different stage of workflow um, and if you stick all those together could you create a bullhorn specific workflow that has everything in there which is all the technology that, that you can build around a bullhorn relationship same thing with, with other with whatever whatever system whether you're on job adder or vigeria or whatever it is etc really really fascinating but the playbook for that's going to be out quite shortly so if anybody listening to this wants a copy of that or wants to get involved with that let me know talk to me about create tech and it's really exciting i think but i can see so much happening with this which i think which is, which is brilliant so um okay cool let, 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 let's move on now to I suppose this thing that we're here to talk about high performing and high performing recruiters and that type of stuff. Um, I suppose you, you, you could argue that recruiters have been a little bit spoilt um, in the post COVID boom because it yeah. was fairly easy to make money as a recruiter. I'm not patronizing anybody on this listening into this, but it was fairly easy to make money in the sort of a couple of years post COVID. So I think some of our behaviors, some of the, the brilliant basics that we like to talk about maybe have been lost a little bit and, and that type of stuff. What, what, what does a recruiter need to do today to become one of those high-performing recruiters again that we are so used to in the post-COVID boom? I think it's it's not so much as it's not so much as what they need to do. I think sometimes you have people that need to do different things. The biggest thing I've seen missing is that they've not. There's such this fear around putting KPIs and you know metrics around these newbies. These you know they're six months in the door. They don't want to be told to make a hundred calls a day. Um, that they're not being shown the way. They're not being told, look, here's the, you know, was it the 4 rule? 
candidate-wise. None of this stuff is being shown to the recruiters. So if they've been in the door 12 months and they've not had to, they've not had a down a downtime that they've had to sell through, for example, the numbers should tell the story. So mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier on, which I know you've always been a fan of, but it's, it is rare out there, is that measuring the conversion rates between the stages, not just the numbers in the stages. I think that's a very easy trap for people to fall into. If for, let's take an example. Let's say that there's a recruiter who's been in the job 12 months, hasn't really had to win business, for example. They've been given a lot in that in the boom period. And then we're telling them, you need to get in touch with more clients. You just need to get in touch with more clients. You don't have enough jobs on, for example. More isn't a good enough goal for the recruiter to, to focus on. And if you then say, you need to win five jobs, they don't know how. It's like asking them to be taller, as I've heard before. It's literally like you, you need to be able to tell them why the numbers make sense. So you need to be able to say, you need to go and contact 10 new clients, 10 prospect clients to win one. So if you need five, you need to find 50 prospect clients. And I think, I know that sounds so basic, and it is literally world-class basics, but people are not doing it. And if they don't know how, then they'll just ref- they'll just say yes to your face and then go back and be confused going, well, I was too embarrassed to ask why on earth I had to make 200 calls this week. But yeah. no one's explaining it to them. And like, if you don't want to do KPIs, for example, I'd really recommend uh, a book Called by John Doerr called uh, Measure What Matters. So it's how OKRs came into existence. Mm-hmm. And OKRs, they actually help me. I mean, we our exec team is on OKRs. I mean, I have a chat with my exec team. We bring up the OKRs. What was the objective? What was your key results? And then I just say, how are you performing against that one? How are you tracking against that one? My last question is, have you any blockers? And then they go, yes, I didn't have it. We never have enough leads come in here, so we missed that one. Or we had too many here and we missed it, that we didn't get back in time. Whatever the, the reasons are, it comes out from just good conversation. Um, but we know where we're going because the key results are written right in front of us. So I think it's a massive, uh, a massively underrated part of the process when you're trying to get a newbie who's not been in a downtime into a high performer. I totally, totally agree. And, and you know that's the difference between minimum standards and KPIs as far as I'm concerned. KPIs are these aspirational goals that your manager sets. The minimum standards are... Look at the mass. The mass tells you, based on your conversion ratios, you have to do this number of calls, this number of meetings, this number of CV sends in order to hit your figures. Two ways you can improve that, do more of it or improve your conversion ratios. But why not do both? And actually, guess what happens? It has this exponential impact on your bottom line profitability. We, we, we built a toolkit called the Profit Maximizer. Right. It's a really cool tool where you literally pump in a load of data and you start tweaking some knobs and dials. And it tells you, well, if you did that by an extra 2% and that by an extra 3%, and that was it, what impact would that have made to your commission check last month type conversation? And it is so fascinating when you look at that because it's just, it is bloody obvious. It is basic sort of stuff, but we're not focusing sometimes on that basic core stuff that drives a recruitment business. And data does that. The data, the measurement, the conversions drives that. That's absolutely key. But, and you, but you're right though. Let's say, for example, someone is making enough call, like they're making more calls than anyone else. I'm using calls as an example, right? We can, I'm just using that for basics here, if she's saying you've got to make 200 calls, if you want to make less calls, you get more of them. That's the that's the main thing, and people don't pay attention to that. Again, if it's, it's a case of you want more at the bottom, you put more in the top, doesn't always work. 
Yeah, 100% agree with that. And, and again, you mentioned OKRs. Anyone listening on the call, if you're not utilizing the OKR concept, we use it in TRN, have done for years. However, our entire business is built around them. So simple model works really effectively, keeps everything gelled together. Um, I'm conscious of time, right? I'm going to keep this mm-hmm. to sort of 30, 30 minutes. Um, well, one of the things that you and I often talk about is around personal branding, social branding, noise, making that type of stuff. And I think it's a really big part of a recruiter's day job is to have a strong personal brand that they're using in the marketplace. Having yeah. said that, I don't want my recruiters spending lots of time trying to figure out how to build a personal brand. I want them actually doing recruitment, getting in front of customers and, and, and everything else. So when, when you look at the, the world we live in today, which is a bloody noisy world, let's face it, how mm-hmm. does a recruiter cut through all that noise to be able to really build a strong personal brand that makes them stand out amongst everybody else? So I think it all starts with your credibility, first of all. And then there's two things, there's two elements of it. One is your um, the creation of, let's just, I'm not going to focus on content here, right? Just because social media is not the only way to go about it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to shout about videos on LinkedIn because everyone knows that's, that's where I live, right? So let's, let's take that away. Let's say there was no way of doing that. And I'm just, here's a, a freebie bit of advice. In-person events are not dead and they don't need to be massive. They're actually, it's so much easier today than it was three years ago to get people to attend a, an intimate dinner, a four dinner, a four people dinner, a four person lunch, for example, five person lunch. My recommendation is speak to get one one of your prospects on. So let's say it's an engineering manager for a firm in the Midlands. Get her to agree to come to a small lunch, and you confirm the the attendees, but it will be their peers. Have four or five people at the lunch. Use each use each of them to invite the other one. I've got Jessica from Highlands Engineering coming. Oh, great! I'll come along to that, and you create a very small dinner, uh, a very small lunch. And the reason for the call is the invite. And this is the thing: you're you're not phoning to say any jobs. Say, listen, I've actually got a few of your industry peers coming for a lunch in the next three weeks at this place. Would you would you like to come along? It's only four of us. It'll be really intimate place for you to network with your peers. The, the response you get from that, firstly, immediately builds your credibility. Immediately. Mm-hmm. Secondly, you've got another reason to phone, which isn't the case of any jobs. So that that lunch, first of all, is the reason to phone and it gets them in um, into the room. The second thing is document it. Whether that is quoting someone by saying, oh, James said this and I was really intrigued at our lunch and put that on your social media or take photos or, you know, you can document it with a video if you want or with a picture. But that credibility is the thing that will get you a personal brand. It's not just because you're loud doesn't mean you're, it probably means you're more annoying than you are credible. So you have to make sure that what you're shouting about is worth hearing. And you don't, if you don't have the answers, you don't get it from, uh, from your market. So I would say do some in-person events, quote your guests, use the quotes and socials and use the other, your other guests to create another lunch, another lunch next quarter. And, and that will slowly build. That's just a, a very basic way of building some noise. So loads of lunches. Love that. Absolutely. Loads of lunches. Loads of lunches. I'm loving every minute of it. So um, (laughs) as always, really interesting conversation. You and I obviously could talk for hours and hours about all sorts and types of things. I've written down, sort of, I suppose, five things for people to take away from this, maybe. I don't know. Um, you know I'm sure you've got different things to take away. The first thing is use, use tech to humanize the process. Don't use tech to replace the person, number one. Cut out everything and anything that's anchoring your ability to do your job and do the stuff that you should be doing. Um, and the wastage piece around that. Um, focus on the data. Look at the data. What's the data telling you about what you should yeah. do differently tomorrow? Really important. Number four, get out and in front of customers. Um, spend less time behind 
the screen and get in front of the screen and get in front of your customers. And then number five is build that credibility piece as well, which then you can then utilize in all sorts of different ways. None of those five things are particularly new. I don't think we were probably having this conversation 10 years ago. So maybe we are going back to basics again, but in a different way. And I think recruiters need to really embrace that now. And recruitment leaders need to allow recruiters to embrace that too. So, um, which I think is hugely important. Um, Ryan, as always, brilliant to catch up with you. Um, if people want to reach out and find out more about Audro, more about Higher Deck and the stuff that you're doing at the moment, what's the best place to go? Uh, you can DM me. You can go to um, audro.co.uk or higherdeck.io, speak to some of the team. Um, but if you want to just message me directly, I'm also happy to help. Fantastic. Absolutely superb. And if anyone's interested in, in what we're doing at the Recruitment Network, have a look at our website, therecruitmentnetwork.com, or reach out to me directly as well. Um, other than that, lovely to see you as always, Ryan. Lovely to see those of you who have joined us live today and those of you listening to recording. Hope you found that useful. Our next le- LinkedIn Live will be coming up very shortly. Another 30, 30 minutes of hopefully some couple of tips, tricks, techniques that you'll find useful. Other than that, have a fantastic rest of the day. We'll speak very soon. Thanks. Thanks for having me, James. Thank you. See you. Great to see you.